says, let the praises of the Lord be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That says to me that praise must be a weapon. Okay, I got a couple of amens and a little half-hearted nods here and there. I tell you what, is when you find yourself at the worst time of circumstance, is that the time to praise the Lord the loudest? Well, it should be. It should be. Because the Bible is very clear that the just shall live by faith. And when you can praise the Lord at the worst of the circumstance, I think there might be a little bit of faith going on there. Because when you can praise the Lord at the worst time, that's pretty much declaring those things that are not as though they are. Because all you see around you is the things you don't want. And so what you're doing is you're exalting God up in the middle of that place. You're exalting the Lord, your God, above that circumstance. And you're putting the praise out before the manifestation. That's what happened with Jehoshaphat. He got the praisers out before the warriors. So I tell you what this morning, we're going to be encouraged in the Lord that despite how hard it may seem, that is the time at which the Lord can pick freely of the fruit of our lips, which is thanks unto his name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Is is anyone with me this morning? Praise the Lord. Well, thank God for his goodness in our life and his mercy that endures forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about abiding in the vine. I thought CJ was going to steal my thunder a couple of weeks ago. Well, not my thunder, but, but the Spirit of God's thunder. Because I cannot get out of John 15. Been there for most of the years. Well, pretty much since we got on it before the fast. And I tell you, there is a lot of things in that chapter that I don't believe that I've really, that's really registered with me like it has this past couple months. And I endeavor to, by the Spirit of God and the anointing, to share some of that with you. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about abiding in the vine. So before we go into the scripture, we're going to talk just a little bit about grapes. How many of y'all like grapes? How many of y'all like things that come from the grape? Man, I tell you what, I love Welch's 100% grape juice. That stuff, I can drink that stuff by the quart. Now that stuff will put the dimples in your backside because it's full of sugar. It tastes really good, but a lot of people don't realize it, but fruit juice has more sugar than pop. Now, there's a lot of good things in there too, though. So you got to be careful how much juice you consume. Grapes are awesome, though. Man, you think about all the things that come from grapes... You know, wine and, that's right, wine. Wine comes from grapes. 
Grape juice, Welch's grape juice. Thank God for Welch's grape juice. Grape jelly. And there's all kinds, there's several different kinds of grapes. And so you can get different kinds of jellies and jams from the different kinds of grapes. Raisins. How many of y'all know what a currant is? All right, we got some organic granola people in here. They know what currants are. Currants are just white, white grapes. They're from Thompson Seedless grapes. That's what currants are. They're raisins from Thompson Seedless. Yes, grapes, they're awesome. And did you know, as we consider the grape, that it's actually one of the oldest domesticated plants on the face of the earth? Up to 8,000 years ago, it was cultivated. Now that's according to one scholar that found some residue in some pottery, did some high-tech analytical procedure on it to determine some age on it. And that's plus or minus, you know, probably more or minus a couple thousand years. But <laughs> but that's what he said. Suffice it to say, we can look in the scripture and we can see that Noah grew them. It says over in Genesis about Noah growing grapes. The origin of the grape is, can you believe this? The Middle East. Isn't that interesting? What else kind of came from the Middle East or where did all this thing start? In Persia, in the Persian area, Iraq and Iran. What else was there? How did all this kick off in Genesis chapter one? The garden experience. The garden was in that area. That's where it all began. Geographically, anyway, the epicenter of God's creation. And don't you know, the great, bless its little heart, came right from that area. From that area, it has been propagated. It grows as a vine. In fact, its genus name is vitis, which means vine. But it, the, the root of vitis is vit, which means life. How many of y'all heard the word vitality? Vigor. V-I means life in Latin. Or has to do with the essence of life. So this is a vine of life, if you will. The grape. Everybody's going to leave here and want some grapes. <laughs> and drink some Welch's grape juice. I'm, 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 I promise you I'm not plugging. The NCF is not endorsing Welch's as a product. That's not my purpose here. It is the best grape juice you can get, though. <laughs> Did you know that you can propagate grapes by cuttings and by grafting? That's absolutely right. You can propagate them. You don't need seeds to propagate grapes. Now, if you want to start another genetic stock, you use a seed. But here's the rub. The people that have spent hundreds of years developing the genetics, their profile that they're looking for, they don't want to take that seed that would have other genetic coding in it because they like what they have. So guess how they propagate it? Snip, snip, plant. Snip, snip, plant. That's interesting. Yeah, you got what you need. All the programming is in that that you want. 
For the people that, for the cultivars that have had the effort put into them over the millennia, I mean literally millennia, to develop strains. And people are, it's proprietary. People are, they guard it with their life, those grapevines. That genetic material that renders fruit succulent, abundant, awesome flavor profile. So you propagate it by cuttings and graftings mostly, not by seed. That's interesting. Most important part of growing grapes, the absolute most important part, next to it being planted. Can anybody tell me what it is? Come on. What'd you say? Okay, well, the rootstock is, let's just say for the established grape, what's the most important part of of grape cultivation after that? Yes, pruning. It is the absolute most important thing you can do to cultivate grapes. If you don't prune grapes, you ain't going to get grapes. To me, bad English has a lot more emphasis to it. I like the character in bad English. So, if you want... A minuscule amount of harvest from a grapevine, just let it grow and do its thing. Let it do what it wants to do. And I'll promise you at some point in time, it will put all of its energy, and it won't be very long, it puts all of its energies into vegetative growth. And that is the growth of the plant. And the plant will be lush, and it will have all this beautiful foliage on it, and you'll be like, look at that grapevine. It is abundant in its lush vegetative growth. It looks beautiful and grapevines are very attractive. But I got to tell you, if you leave it to its own devices, it will not produce grapes. You have to cultivate that plant by pruning it. And I got to tell you, it ain't just pruning it one time. It ain't just pruning it two times. It's pruning it constantly. And there are seasons to the pruning. And there are ways that you prune during the seasons that are different. You prune the most effectual part of the pruning that takes place to determine the growth habit of the grape. And its, and its production takes place in the, guess what? The dormant period. When, it, when there's not a lot of leaves and there's not growth on there except the woody growth that looks dead. Come on folks, there is, I, I tell you, when we get done with this, you're gonna be like, oh my goodness. Jesus knew what he was talking about. Okay, and so you're going to find out that, and I just want to convey to you, and I I encourage you, go on Google, go on Wikipedia, study about the grape. That's what I did yesterday for a couple hours, just studied about grapes, and it's got me fired up, Emily, to grow some grapes. I'm fired up. That woman back there, she is a gardener, master gardener, man. That woman can, and so is this lady back over here on the back row. They, man, it's like, if you want to learn about cultivating stuff, you go to them. Miss Barton and Emily, and also to, uh, Marty and Candy Yunt. Some people got some green thumbs in here. And some people just got two thumbs on each hand. Okay, so. Most important part of grape cultivation is pruning. Grapes grow, and this is very important. Is everybody listening? 
Grapes grow on one-year-old growth. They don't grow on the, on the growth that happened five years ago. They don't grow on the growth that happened if the vine is 30 years, 30 years old growth. They grow on the last year's growth. It's very important. This is very important. And you know what? The pruning is so important. This is how important it is. Up to 90% of that last year's growth gets pruned off every year. That, you tell me, is pruning significant? When you're taking off about 90% of that organism's tissue that it elaborated during the productive part of the year to force it, enforcing it to grow the way you, and direct its energies appropriately, that's a heavy pruning job. I don't really don't know of a lot of other, you know, plants I can't think of any right now. And I'm not a huge landscape plant guy. I'm an extant plant, landscape plant guy, things that grow out in the wild. You can ask me about grasses and about trees and things that, that God put there to begin with, but all the things that man has taken and made beautiful and done all things to decorate the yards with, I'm not real good at. Go talk to the yunts about that. Talk to Miss Barton about that. Talk to Emily about that. <laughs> but you take up to about 90% of that growth off every year. Every year! My goodness! I gotta tell you, it takes a lot of time. I got online and I watched some YouTube videos about pruning grapes. And everybody's looking at me like, dear Lord, you got some issues. If you ain't got any more interesting things in your life than get on the internet and watch YouTube videos about growing grapes, I invite you to go watch one from Oregon State. This young lady is out there and she's got her loppers and her hand shears. And she goes into the fine detail of how to prune a grape. And I tell you, when she gets started, all you see is an endless row after endless row after endless row of what's ahead of her. I got to tell you, and I'm sitting there going, are you serious? Everything you just went through on that one, one, one foot linear foot of plant, you're going to elaborate on all that vine, those vines? Oh my goodness. Lots of work to prune grapes. Lots of work to cultivate. Don't even think about planting grapes unless you're going to put some work down. Unless you're in, in it for the work, you better not. If you like to work like Marty does, plant a bunch of vineyard. Because <laughs> you're going to be working. If you want it to be productive, you're going to be working. Did you know that the pruning is so important because it dictates the energy of that plant. It directs it into a result that you desire. It forces that plant to put its energies into the right things, into a productive fruiting potential. It dictates the vine spacing and where those grapes are going to come out and manifest. Even the fruit clusters, I didn't know this, they even prune the fruit clusters. So when a fruit cluster comes out as a little immature cluster, they'll go to the end of it and pluck it like the last third of it off. Because what it does is it develops the cluster, it rounds it out. It makes it have that nice, awesome, just, you know, full growth habit. If you don't prune that, so I'm telling you right now, you will not be... A vine master, a viticulturalist, unless you're in it for the work. Because there is a lot of work involved. 
Pruning takes place during both growing season and dormant seasons. So it doesn't stop. Now, the most important pruning takes place during the dormant season. Whenever it looks like there is no appearance of life, whenever it looks like there is no potential for fruit to be born on that plant, that's when the most important pruning takes place. The most important pruning. I think some people are making the, making the bridge here to the spiritual. Cause I hear thank you Jesus and stuff like that. And we hadn't even gotten into spiritual things yet. No, we have. We have. I'm just using the same analogy my master used. So think about all this while we go through this. The variety dictates also. The variety of, of the grape dictates the pruning approach. Depending upon the type, the cultivar of the grape, you do what's called a cane pruning. Or you do what's called a spur pruning. And you, and it's two completely different methods and approaches to how you prune a grape during the dormant period to force its growth to elaborate maximal fruit production. And some varieties, they've got to have cane, they gotta be cane pruned to produce right. Some varieties gotta be spur pruned to produce right. If you, if you cane prune a spur pruned variety, you just goofed it up. It ain't going to produce. If you spur prune a cane pruned variety, you just goofed it up. You just forced it to, to, against its abilities to produce fruit. Okay, so consider the grape. Enough of that. Now you've got a nice context and foundation to, do, to, to, for us to go forth on. So everybody, let's turn over to John chapter 15. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray. Father, I invite, and he is already here, the precious Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I yield my members unto you that you would receive all the glory and you would be unabated in your flow through this vessel. That these folks, Lord God, are good soil. Thank you for ears to hear, for eyes to see. Thank you for multiple multiplicity of revelation, Father, for rhema word today in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, we exalt you to the highest place and we're grateful for what you've done for us. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's just read through this right quick. So this is John chapter 15. It's red letter in my Bible and yours. So these are Jesus' words. He says, I'm the true vine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Does this sound like something we've been talking about? So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we're going to stop there. Strategically, we're going to stop right there. I'll go ahead and just tell you that verses 9 through 17 also apply to everything he's been talking about. So I'm not going to leave that out. We're going to cover that next week. So I invite you all this week to spend some time meditating on these scriptures. John chapter 15, 1 through 17. Can we do that this week? To spend some time meditating on these scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. To open up the eyes of your understanding. Because that's all we're, we're going to cover here these next two weeks. Okay, so we read some very important words. And in fact, they're words that your very life depends on. They're words that determine whether or not your fruitfulness for the kingdom of God manifests will take place. Okay, so guess what plant Jesus is talking about here? Consider the grape. And I, you know, he doesn't come right out and tell you it's a great plant, but folks, tell me how it can be any other plant. I'm telling you right now, by utterance of the Holy Ghost, you check it out for yourself, but thus saith Greg, this, he's talking about grapes. Grapes were exceedingly important back in the day. Hugely important. And how many analogies did Jesus use? How many parables did he use? I can think of several. What about the master in the vineyard? He used the vineyard multiple times in stories, conveying things to his disciples, did he not? He did. He talked about the vineyard a lot. So he's not doing anything different here. He's just talking about grapes again. Because these people understand grapes. Grapes are a significant part of their culture. Okay? So now I've got a question for you. Why parables? Why pictures? Why analogies? Jesus, why didn't you just flip and come right out and just say it like it is? Why does it always have to be parables, Jesus? You know what? The disciples asked the same question. They did. Mark chapter 4. 33 through 34. Just listen to these words. You don't have to go there. Mark it down. Mark 4, 33 through 34. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. As much as they could understand, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But, everybody say but. Everybody say but. That's good. When he was alone with his disciples. Everybody say that. When he was alone with his disciples. What did he do? He explained everything. Boy, I got to tell you, we can stop and preach here for about an hour at least. Because I got to tell you here, Jesus never has anything to speak to you that he doesn't desire for you to understand. Now, there are seasons and times for our understanding. I'm going to tell you that. 
There are some things that Jesus speaks to us that there is a season of revelation that will come upon you in that. But guess what you're not supposed to do? You're not supposed to withdraw from what he's spoken because you don't understand it and leave it on the shelf. You're supposed to keep carrying that with you and know that at some point in time, he spoke that to you for a reason and the Holy Ghost is going to give it to you when it's the right time. Now, I'll also tell you that he wants you to have understanding of his word at all times, though. So there are certain words, I'll tell you, that you'll carry for a long time. And then all of a sudden, there'll be the right season. There'll be the right time. There'll be a part in time when you are ready to receive that engrafted word. And it'll come inside of you and it will germ and it will begin to produce. It will take root and it will produce a harvest if you will tend to it. But there are other times that he speaks the word and he wants you to get a hold of it. Right then, and to understand it. And I want you to see that, yes, though Jesus used parables, though he used pictures, though he used analogies, I want you to see that his words to his, or the word here says that when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. I got to tell you, folks, there's something, and we use the term quiet time. And I've got a lot of problems with constantly labeling your Jesus time, quiet time, or whatever, because it almost connotes or or denotes that that's the only time you have with God. No, all your time is God's time. Now, there are particular times that you're paying more attention. And that's that's all Pastor CJ's talking about. That's all Pastor Dale's talking about. You're just trying to get, you're taking your time where you're tuning out all the other things that distract and saying, okay, I'm paying much more attention right now. But the whole time, the rest of your time, don't say it ain't Jesus time. Don't say it ain't, it, I'm not listening because you are listening. You need to be in an active listening posture all the time. And guess what listens right here? Your inner man, the inward man, the spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit. And you need to always have that channel open. Oh my goodness, don't walk out the door if you don't have that channel open, folks. It could mean your life. It could mean your life. I've had some of the most significant revelations and spiritual experiences take place when I am the most unspiritual, the most undeserving, the most absolutely vile place in my life, and God comes in like a flood. I've seen it time and time again. And you know what it proves to me, folks? That just proves to me that it's a matter of grace. Every element of our living for the kingdom of God really comes down to God imparting his strength and abilities to us because we come to an end real quickly. Sometimes more quickly than others. And you know, I can see that borne out in Paul's life. You know, he came to a place that you're looking at a man that probably there is no one that would rival his revelatory ability. Paul wrote, for crying out loud, the bulk of the New Testament under the unction of the Holy Ghost. He said that he spoke in tongues more than everyone. He talks about all the great revelations and things, but yet he was not boasting. 
in and of himself. And it says that it came to a place that literally he had an assignment against him that he begged God. How many people here sit here now and can relate to Paul and say, I've had experiences in my life that I have begged God to take from me. Well, I got to tell you, you're in good company. Because one of the strongest and greatest revelators, at least that we have proof of on page, Paul, the apostle, was there too. And you know what he said? After he begged God three times to take that issue away from him, to absolve that issue from his life, he finally came to the place that he realized that despite how far he thinks he thought he had gone in maturity, how far he had thought he had gone in grace, in uh, growth, in the things of God, it still always fell back ultimately on the grace of God. Always. Folks, that just says to me, if Paul is there, oh my goodness, man. Oh my goodness, how much more do I depend on the grace of God? And you know, Paul at the end of that said, so I will glory in my weakness. Because that, to to me, that's when the flood of the power of God really is brought to bear. It has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with God's favor poured out on his life. And every one of us here are destined and should receive that favor. But you've got to position yourself for it. You have to understand it's working in your life and you've got to position yourself for it. It doesn't just like, you know, you, you don't have it. You have to appropriate the grace. You have to position yourself for it. Okay, so that's, that's not my, my message. That's a side message. It's a huge. The grace of God... Uh, Matthew 13, 36, it says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and it said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So he was talking about the wheat and the, wheat and the terror parable. Just got done. And then here are the disciples telling Jesus, Come on, Jesus. Uh, we don't understand a word you just said. What does this have to do with the price of rice in China? Or beans in Mexico or whatever analogy you want to use. And you know what? Guess what Jesus did? He went in the house and explained it to him because that's what the previous verse said. He explained to him everything. You know what, folks? We got to do the same thing. You know what the mark of true disciple is? A person that goes and gets with God and says, explain to me this, Jesus. A person that goes and seeks out the counsel of Jesus about things that they don't understand. A person that is that is constantly in a place that they go and they get with him alone. They go into their quiet place. They go, they withdraw from the crowds and go with Jesus as he withdraws from the crowds and says, Jesus, you're going to have to explain to me what that is. That's a disciple. And that's what true discipleship is from Jesus' perspective is that is is pouring in to his people. But I gotta tell you why Jesus also uses parables, pictures, and analogies. He also uses them because I'll tell you one thing, it's not revealed. It ain't revealed to the religious people. He said that very, very clearly. I use pictures and analogies, this is, this is Greg's version, because hearing you don't hear. Seeing you don't see. And he's talking to Philip, the, uh, The religious leaders. He's talking to the Sadducees, the Pharisees. 
And the thing, and he said, the things of God will be given to the kids. Because you aren't going to understand it. Why? Because they're burdened down and approaching the things of God from a soulish perspective. They're not touching from the spiritual perspective and inviting the revelation by way of the grace of God. They are looking and seeking by their own power to try to pull the nuggets out of the things of God. And they're spiritually understood. They're foolishness to the mind. And then they don't want to go any deeper than the soulish experience with it. So what they do is make turn it into a bunch of rules and laws and regulations and whips that they go around whipping their back and your back with. And putting yokes on people. That's what religion's all about. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. Because those people would not understand. Because when Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear... That blurs out exactly what I'm telling you about. He is explaining to those that have spiritual ears. Hear about what I'm about to say. He's not talking to those that have physical ears and no spiritual ears. He says to he that has ears, let him hear. Why would he say that if if everyone there didn't have physical ears to hear the words that came out of his mouth? If he's talking about physical ears. That's stupidity. When we know Jesus is not stupid... He said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear, because he's talking about a different set of ears. He's talking about these ears, internal, the spiritual ears. Okay, so let's go into verse, oh, yeah, verse 1. Well, first of all, let me give you a couple scriptural references for the fact that the parables and the visions and stuff like that are spoken because it's to, it, it, it is to prevent the religion, religion from receiving him. Matthew 13, 10 through 11 says, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to us in parables? There the actual question is, we started to start out with. He replied, Jesus, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. That's Jesus' words. That ain't my words. That's Jesus' words. That he, that's Jesus saying what I just got through saying about the religious people. John 10, 6, if you don't, if that's not enough witness for you, John 10, 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. That's another scripture to bear out the proof of what I'm saying. So I've got to just finish this caveat up one with one clear statement, and that is this. If we wish to play games in church and only allow the experience with Jesus and the kingdom of God and the word to be no deeper than a religious event, then you can automatically guarantee you will never receive the revelations of the kingdom. It ain't coming to you. Because it didn't come to the Pharisees. It didn't come to the Sadducees. And in fact, Jesus said, I ain't speaking to them. I'm speaking to those that have ears to hear. Okay, so I'm just going to let that stay right there and brew a little bit. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus told people, (laughs) man, they looked for him for so many things beyond what he really was come down here to do. And he told him, he said, look, I didn't come down here to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And I know that kind of, that kind of cuts, no pun intended, but it kind of cuts through your soul and seems foolish. Why would the Prince of Peace make such a statement? 
Because it's the simple matter of speaking the truth that if you're not willing to receive and hear with ears that receive it, it will cut you away. And that's what a sword does. And I got to tell you, the truth is a sword. And it will come down and it will cleave in two so that there will be a distinct separation between things that are of the spirit, things that are of the God and everything else is not, is going to burn away. And I got to tell you, Jesus was the sword of the living God on this earth and is still this to this day. And we can see a picture in Revelation when it says when he comes down, it says the sword will come out of his mouth and consume his enemies. Well, that's the word of God. That's the truth. I got to tell you folks today, by the utterance of the Holy Ghost, the truth is not relative to culture. The truth is not relative to ethnicity. The truth is not relative to your ability to understand it. The truth is relative to one thing, and that is the one and only God that we worship in heaven, Jehovah, who created this earth and spun the whole thing into motion. And it's his Christ, the word who took upon himself the frailties of flesh and came down in here and lived his life at the beck and call of the word of his father. And he whipped death, hell and the grave on its own turf. He beat it. He beat it in the flesh. And I tell you what, he turns around and says to all that will take my my substitution, you can beat it too. All you got to do is receive it by grace. And it's not for people that preach. It's not just for people that, that come to the church every week. It's not just for people that, that want to talk a good talk and, and, and spit white and talk right. <laughs> It's for every single person. Yes, for the for the uh, Saddam Husseins, for the Adolf Hitlers. Did you know that Jesus paid the same price for those two men that he paid for me? And I didn't do anything that those men did in the way of crimes to humanity. But I got to tell you, the father shed a tear when those two men died their physical life and didn't make a choice for the Savior. Because he says that he wishes that all, that none would perish, but all would come to saving knowledge. And that's what the ministry of reconciliation is. It's going to throughout the nations as we live and we're telling men and women, look, God ain't counting your sins against you anymore. Step into what's rightfully yours. That is truth. And that will remain forever and ever and ever. But all the constructs of the academic institutions and things like that that will find themselves on the other side of truth will burn up one day. So you better find yourself whenever the sword comes down at the end on the pile of truth. Because if you ain't in the pile of truth, then you're in a pile. And it stinks real bad and you're going to be stinking for a long time. That's right. Pile of mess. That's right. Oh, dear God, help us. It's simple. I tell you what, it's a passion in me. I pray and ask the Lord, oh God, I want to be found allied with the truth at all times. I want to be found that the only thing that comes out of my mouth is truth. I don't want it to be opinion, God. I want it to be the truth.
Whether people understand it or not, that's up to them and that's up to the Holy Ghost and whether they're open to receive that revelation. And it's all to the glory of my Father, just like Jesus said. It ain't to the glory of me. It's to the glory of my Father to extol the virtues of His truth. I tell you, it's a passion in my heart. I can't get over it. I want my boys to be, to, when they leave my house, I want them to not only know the truth, not know, but to know that it's not just a figment of imagination or a figment of pages in a book, but it's a reality of a living person. It's the reality of the living God that they're relating to. And if they'll live their lives in that relation to that living element, then it will guide them. It will found their life. It will be the rock upon which their house will be founded. And when the winds come and the storms rile and the waves beat against that house, it will not fall. My boys are going to leave my house with that foundation in their lives. Dear God, above all things, I ask that. And I pray that for you all. Everyone sitting here. Man, alive. We, we get into education and we get into the, to the soul and we don't get beyond that experience with the things of God. And dear Lord, we think we master things that we don't even have a, a, a smell of. Okay, so verse one. Whew. Jesus is the vine. Listen to what he says. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. Pretty easy here. Don't need to really interpret that, do we? Maybe we can just kind of, kind of, uh, expound on it just a little bit. You know, I gotta say one more thing back on what I was just real passionate about a while ago. <laughs> you know, this one guy told me, I just loved him so much, man. He was a good, simple guy. He was a coach. He was a big old black brother, man. I mean, could just break you in two if he got a hold of you. And his name was Mitch. And he and I were good friends. And I, I, you know, and one time he just told me, he said, you know, he said, an old man told me one time, he said, opinions are like armpits. He said, everybody has them and they sometimes stink. <laughs> and I tell you, that has stuck with me. I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. It's true. It's true. Opinion ain't truth, guys. I'm sorry, I'm going back to this again. I've just, truth is absolute and it exists despite whether you agree with it or not. That's opinion. So just remember that now, from now on, you don't want to be about opinion because it's fine to have opinions about stuff, but don't go leveraging and hammering with your opinions as if it's the absolute truth, because it may not be. This is the absolute truth. You better compare your opinions back to this. If they don't line up, forget it. You're in the pile. And it's the stinking pile. All right. I'm going on, Jesus. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. So Jesus is the vine. He's, oh, 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 my goodness. Please, Omid, can you throw up the picture? Man, I cannot believe I got past this. Okay, so remember we're talking about the grape. Consider the grape. This is a grapevine. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I completely forgot about this. Uh, 
look, you see the single trunk coming up from the ground. Then you see what? You see two branches that come from the trunk. Isn't that interesting? Those are called cordons. Okay? Now, I want you to see to the right, to the left, is all the growth that I talked about that has to get pruned off. And when I saw that lady on the uh, uh, YouTube video, she was looking at rows and rows of that. I mean hundreds of yards of rows of that on the left. But to the right, look at all that's been pruned. Look at all that's been pruned. So to the left is before the pruning. To the right is a branch that's been pruned. Y'all see that? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I told you 90% of the growth from that year. That's, look at that. That's probably at least 85, 90%. Lots that had got cut away. Okay, so just keep, just keep that picture up there, Omid, please. I even had it on my notes and I, and I just went like right by it. Okay, so verse one, I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. So here we look at this vine and we see a trunk with those two cordons coming off of it. Guess who that is? Jesus. That's Jesus. That trunk and those two cordons coming out is Jesus. Now I wish I had my laser pointer because what we are are those little bitty branches off those spurs. That's what we are. But guess what? That's last year's growth. And guess what last year's growth does? It sprouts fruit. That's where fruit comes. Fruit doesn't come off the trunk. Fruit doesn't come off the spur, the spurs or the cordons. Fruit comes off the branches that come from the spurs, grow out of the spurs. So Jesus is the trunk and the, and the cordon, if you will, and the little spur nodule. So you have to do all that pruning and you do that every single year. Every year. Can you believe that? That is a lot of work. That's one grapevine, folks. Can you, what if you had 500 of those? My goodness. And folks, I gotta tell you here, let's go on into verse two. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does, does bear fruit he prunes. Guess what? We are, Jesus is the vine and we are the little branches that grow out on that vine. And it says that the father is the gardener. He's the one that's looking at those 500 gazillion thousand people over the ages that he's had to do this to. My goodness, you want to talk about some work. The father's got a lot of work ahead of him. Because when I just look at my life, I got so much stuff needs to be pruned out. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And why don't you all sit here and think about your lives, about the things that might need to be pruned. And that pruning don't stop. It continues and continues and continues and continues. And the father does all that. The father does all that. Do you know there's even a reference to the lineage of Jesus as being like a vine in Romans 15, 12. This is just kind of like a, a trivial tidbit. And further, Isaiah says, there shall be a sprout from the root of Jesse. You're talking about root. This is referring to the lineage of Jesus having come through the line of David. Jesse was David's father. Guess who that sprout was? Oh, my goodness. It's the line to Jesus. He who rises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. Boy, do we have hope today. 
because of that sprout. Okay, so Jesus is the word. I want to establish that. So he's the vine. The father's the gardener. Jesus is also the word, capital W. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Then in verse 14, it says, the word, capital W, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So who is this person that became the word? It's Jesus because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, it wasn't God. It was Jesus that did that. So whenever you think about Jesus, think about the word, capital W. He's the word. Okay, so now what I want you to do, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to stop. We're going to stop after this, okay? Everybody says, woohoo, Greg's going to get us out of here 10 minutes before 12 o'clock. Well, I didn't mean for you to say it. That was kind of one of them, like, you know, them rhetorical things. So Jesus is the word. And if he is the word, folks, then that means that Jesus equals the word. Then that means anytime you see the word Jesus, you can put the, the, the word, just replace his name with word, capital W. Don't put the little W in there because it's the word. Because it's a person. He's a person, the word. Okay, so if that's true, and I'm going to leave you with this, and then I'm just baiting you into this trap. It's called the trap of revelation. The Holy Ghost is baiting you in. Because when you spend this week going through John 15, these first uh, verses up to 1 through 17, I want you to think about all we've talked about. So now, this is the last thing. I want everyone now, when you read through the Bible, and you can do it in your margin, you can do it on a notepad, I want you to replace the par- in the translate the parable of vine with the word capital W in mind. So that means replace things like me, replace words like vine with the word word. So if you see the word word, so here we go. I am the true vine. So what would I do? To replace the word vine with word. I am the true word, capital W. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in the word that bears no fruit. So see what I'm saying? Just go through there and replace it and you'll get some revelation. Okay. I told you I was going to stop and that's what we're going to do. So everybody just stand and we'll just pray. Did anybody get something this morning? Besides a hunger for grapes? You watch how many people go out and be buying raisins and, and grapes and Welch's grape juice. Subliminal message. <laughs> oh, can we just agree together, brothers and sisters? Father, oh, how grateful we are to you. God, I, I, I confess, we just want to confess, Jesus, you are Lord. You're king of kings. You're, you're above all things. Jesus, there is none beside you. You're exalted to the highest place at the right hand of majesty on high, our Father. And I want to just thank you, Jesus, divine. Thank you for life. Thank you for the kingdom of God, the essence of which is, is brought through us because we are grafted into that vine.
We are branches that carry and propagate your essence. And the ultimate potential for that is expressed in fruit. God, we want to be fruitful, and Jesus lays it out real clearly here. There, there, there's nothing about this fruitfulness thing that is ethereal. There's nothing about it, oh God, that's confusing. Because Jesus was very, very clear here in this. If we understand and consider the grape, we can understand, oh God, how we can be fruitful. And oh, Father God, we thank you for the simplicity of your truth. <laughs> oh God, that Father is the foundation upon which our very lives can exist for eternity. And we are grateful, Father, for those that are here and have professed Jesus as your Lord. We declare we are grateful that we will not, Father God, when the sword of truth comes down in the final end, Lord God, be found on the wrong pile. Oh, God, we'll be found and reckoned with those that, that Father God, have chosen the truth. And because of that, oh, God, you have eternal rewards for us. Jesus I just so long to run to you and just grab your feet and just kiss them, oh God. But I thank you, Lord. The simplicity is that we can do that even now by the Spirit. I look forward to it one day, oh Lord. I'm going to run to your feet and I'm going to grab hold and you're going to have to kick me loose, Lord. but, but, But Jesus, we can do it now. It's not something that we just wait for in the sweet by and by because by the Spirit, Father God, we cry, Abba. By the Spirit, we learn, Lord, that we can touch you now. And that's what, Father God, I just thank you that the Spirit, I just endeavor, Father, that that be translated, Father God, that that be communicated to your body. That we understand the simplicity of worship and that we can do it now. That's what Jesus told the woman at the well. He said that those that worship him would worship him in spirit. We got to draw back to their essence of who you are and what we've been created in. And that's spirit first. And that's where true worship lies. And Father, we're grateful right now for the Holy Ghost. Precious, precious, precious are you, Holy Spirit, to us. Precious are you to us, Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you that when we leave here now, oh, it's going to be like this this burning fire inside of us. The light of God. And it's going to bring illumination to our mind. Bring understanding, oh God. The candle of the Lord being lit by the Spirit and the Word. Hallelujah. And so I just want to close. If there's anyone here, if you do not know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior... If you have never accepted and confessed him as Lord and received his truth in your life and most importantly received the grace that gives you the ability not just to get out of jail free, but to be eternally set free. Hallelujah. If you have not received that, I want you to come here right now and we're going to get that done. We're going to get you on the right side of the truth. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I bid you come. If you don't know the Lord, your God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you draw men to, to the Father. And if you are being drawn right now, don't turn away. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for your love, God, wherewith you loved us.
in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to stay up here. If you are find yourself in that position, I want you to come here. Please do not leave here if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. If you are not in the vine this morning and you say you say to yourself, Greg, I don't know that I'm in the vine. Come up here this morning and we'll make sure that you are. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Wasn't that a good word this morning? Well, like what my friend Ron King said, he texted me and said, this message was brought to you by Welch's Grape Juice. (laughs) So next time you have a bottle of or a drink of grape juice or you see a vine, you're going to remember this parable. You're going to remember John 15. Amen. You guys didn't realize that Welch's was so kingdom minded, I bet. Will you guys be blessed? We prayed you guys be blessed. And I'm not sure what the precipitation did during the time, but just be mindful of that and be careful as you drive home. God bless you guys.